there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or, you know, your pet goldfish, your cats, um, or anyone who has any questions for us today. I am Courtney. I am a branch librarian at our Kentland and Gaines branches, and I'm one of the librarians that you're going to be stumping. I'm here with the lovely Emily. Hi. I'm a branch librarian from the Tyrone branch. And, that, and our uh, producer, who I like to refer to as the librarian behind the computer, is the fantastic Jill. Hello, Jill. Hello. All right. Well, I think it's time that we get to the questions, get to the meat of the podcast. Jill, what is our first question? Our first question today comes from Cohen, who is five and a half and a listener from our Caledonia branch. He would like to know, why do tigers have stripes? That is a great question and one one that I did not know the answer to. Um, So lots of people have obviously asked this question um, numerous times. And there are lots of legends about why tigers have stripes. Um, there's some that come from Vietnam and the Porquai. Did I say that right? You did, yes. Yes. It's a French word, so hard one. But well, por- it's Porquai, I guess, maybe. Porquai. It's, this is this going back. Yeah, name. elementary French. We'll work on this for We'll work on this. For next um, time, yeah. But tales or the origin stories of how animals or plants look or act the way they do is pretty common. Um, you can find two origin stories about why tigers have their stripes if you go to hoopla which is a great digital resource that you can access with your library card where you can check out items to read on your tablet your computer your phone whatever device you have um there's one that is called how the tiger got his stripes um this tells the story of the tiger getting his stripes when he was unfortunately tied up by man the ropes burned the stripes into his beautiful golden coat, which is the saddest thing I think I have ever heard. Would you agree? I, I would agree. I don't much like that at all. I don't really like that story. Hopefully the story is a lot deeper and it's not just that. Um, but before we talk about why tigers actually have stripes, which I won't answer that question, I promise, let's talk about tigers being endangered. So, Emily, what is endangered mean can you tell me remind me yes endangered means that there is a limited number of that species um in existence and so they are in danger of going extinct which means we wouldn't have them around anymore that would be uh very sad so tigers are endangered um for many reasons um one of the reasons is because tigers have been hunted for their beautiful skins for their Stripes, because tigers are just beautiful cats. If you've seen one in a zoo or on TV, they are beautiful and magnificent creatures. Also very, very large. Quite large. I don't know if you've ever seen their paws, but they are ginormous. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that my dog has large paws, but they... Nothing compared to a tiger. No, they're not compared to a tiger. So, why do they have stripes? Finally, we're getting to your question. So... Tigers have what scientists call disruptive coloration. So this disruptive coloration helps break up an animal's size and shape so they can blend in with their surroundings. So camouflage, essentially. 
Um, animals with destructive coloration. This includes like zebras, bobcats. There's lots of striped fish. And of course, tigers. Um, tiger stripes help them blend in with the grasses and the trees. Um, their stripes are clearly super important. Other large cats like lions hunt in groups, but the tigers, they are lone hunters. So it's very important that they remain hidden in order to catch their prey because they're just, you know, running around doing their thing. Um, their prey are going to run away and they want to eat. Don't the women catch the female lions or no. tigers catch the... I know the female lions do. The I wonder if the female tigers do. do. Um, you know what? I That's a great question. But they rely on their stealth and their camouflage, the tigers, to survive. Um, and just like humans, we all have fingerprints. So no one's fingerprint is the same. That's why, you know, on detective shows, they like wipe for prints because your fingerprint is your identifier. No tigers have the same stripe pattern. Do you believe that? I believe that. And I think it's incredible. I think that's kind really of like great. snowflakes. And that researchers will use the tiger stripe pattern to identify the tiger. Because if no other tiger has that stripe pattern, then they know oh, which wow. tiger that is. So if they know that, you know, Janice, sorry, that's a horrible Janice tiger name. Janice the tiger. <laughs> Janice the tiger has this type of pattern stripes. And, you know, Walter the tiger has this. They can tell them apart. I mean, also, they're male and females, so you can tell them apart otherwise. But their stripes are much more visible, and they will tell them apart that way. Now, did you find out? I, I did. Um, your so, question. ignore what I said about females hunting. Um, since they are solitary animals, they hunt for themselves. So, yeah, so they do, all, they do their own thing. They do their own thing. And so, researchers have also found that tiger stripes aren't just a fur thing. Sometimes, tigers, especially those that are in the zoo, um, will have to be sedated and have a small amount of fur shaved off, perhaps to fix an injury or do some dental work. And the skin underneath the fur is also striped. Can you believe that? That's pretty. So like their skin and their fur. Amazing. So that leads me to a question that I will have to answer later. Is the fur striped or is it because their skin is striped? Or both? It's probably both. That's a good question. Uh, maybe both. Maybe both. Uh, definitely some evolutionary thing that yeah i'll have to get to the bottom of at some point (laughs) yeah so tune in next time where we clarify that bit of information and so all this information that we found um shout out to jill because she actually answered this question for me so i'm sharing her lovely information we found using the databases at kdl so this information was found using britannica school which you can use online again with your library card library cards are very important things and I think you should have one if you do not have one. What do you think, Emily? I, I absolutely agree. I'm sorry. I got a little distracted about polar bears when we were talking <gasps> about tigers oh. and their fur and skin. Excuse me. Because polar bears have clear fur, right? Yes. And, and bla- hollow fur, clear hollow fur. And, and uh, don't black know how that skin. Works. It, um, <laughs> let me just throw all these facts out here without anything to, to back them up, I suppose. Um, but... Yeah, their fur is black, and their hair is hollow, and their coat has no white pigment. I guess it just... Um, but they are white Yes, but they are white-ish. They're kind of, yeah. I'm like an off-white color. They're not a pure white color. Sorry. This is That's off, a great tangent, topic, though. But and it makes sense. Okay. So, Jill? Well, 
I have a fact of the day for you today. <gasps> so exciting. I love facts. Today's fact of the day comes from to you from Ripley's Believe It or Not, Time Warp, The Past and Present Collide, which you can check out from kdl.org or any of your local branches. Here's the fact. The modern smartphone has more computing power than all of NASA had. What? When it put astronauts on the moon. Whoa. What? So one of our singular phones could put somebody on the moon, like, back in the day. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of power I literally hold in my hand. So am I holding the moon in my hand when I'm holding my phone in my hand, or just the ability to get to the moon? The ability, I would say. Okay. The, the ability, ability to yeah. get to the moon. I'm glad we clarified that. Um, but how cool. That's a really cool fact. Would and have been a good quarantine hobby, using yeah, our phones to, our get, phones to, the to get to the moon. Yeah, I mean, I, we could have been there by now. Yeah, but true. then we wouldn't be able to, you know, record this podcast because I don't Glad know how long it would take if we recorded it on the moon to get back to Kent County, Michigan. I think it would have taken a long time. Yeah, I think so too. I think it might be uh, pretty quick. We'll have to look into that for oh next boy. time. That's a good question. So many questions. This podcast is just going to answer questions, but also create questions. Because when you learn information, I feel like you always get more questions. There's always follow-ups. Yeah. There is. I mean, we learned about tigers, and then we ended up talking about polar bears. But I think we have another question to answer. Jill, what's our next question? We are ready for our next question. This question comes from Mira, age 10. Hi, my name is Mira. I'm 10 years old. I'm wondering, how long does a robin feed the babies in the nest before they fly away? Did the mother and father both feed the babies? Does an imposter parent ever sit on the nest? So, Mira, this was such a good question, um, <clears throat> and I learned a lot. I recently found a fledgling on the ground. Um, Can you tell and, us what a fledgling is? Well, first? yes, and I will. I will tell you in just a second. Okay. <clears throat> um and so I found this little bird on the ground, and I thought, oh, no, has it been abandoned? Do I need to do something with it? And so this was, like, such a timely question, because I learned so much about robins that I didn't know. Um, so I'm going to tell you all some of it. I do want to start out by saying, though, that the Michigan State bird is the American robin. So that I was, was also gonna cool. Say that. I was going <laughs> to interject and be that person and be like, hey, wait a minute. Did you know that the robin is the state bird of Michigan? But you already knew that because I, we yeah, learned it in third grade. We did, yeah. Um, and it's just stuck with me since then. And the cherry blossom is the flower of, or no, the apple blossom. The apple blossom. The apple blossom is flower of Michigan. Anyways. Tell me about robins. All right. So um, long answers short, uh, there are, wait, no. So Mira asked me three questions, and I am actually going to uh, answer all of them. So she wants to know, um, does a robin feed, feed its babies in the nest for how long before they fly away? So um, <clears throat> the fledglings, which is when a bird starts to get their wings and they try to fly away, um, like that a happens teenager. At, like a teenager, like yeah. A teen robin. Okay. That happens at about two weeks is when they leave their nest. And, and they are being quickly. fed, yes, they are being fed the whole time they're in the nest. Um, <clears throat> from day one to four, they are considered nestlings. And that's when the parent birds, both the bird, the mother and the dad, will regurgitate its food um, into the baby bird's mouth. So that's one to four days. At day, like, five-ish, around there, they start getting bits of whole earthworms. Um, 
And then the earthworm segments that they get fed just get bigger and bigger until they leave the nest at around 14 days. And um, within like 24 hours, all the birds in the nest will be gone. And then when they're on the ground, the parent birds still continue to feed them. Oh, that's nice. When they are on the ground. Um, Very kind of I know. Isn't that, isn't that lovely? So the parents will continue to care for the birds for up to four weeks. Um, so if you find a fledgling on the ground, like I did... There is no worry. You don't have to worry about it. Um, I considered making something to put in the tree to put this bird back in, but it turns out that it was just fine, and its bird parents were near, and it was getting fed, and it's just learning how to like use its wings and hang out on the ground. Um, so Mira also wanted to know if both the mother and father feed the babies, and they absolutely do. They take oh, turns. Good. They make about 100 feeding visits to the nest per day. Um, what? Yeah. So they are I thought I made parents. a lot of trips to the fridge in quarantine a day, but right. I did not make 100 not trips that many, to the fridge. Huh? So and how I, nice, I feel better. How nice would it have been if somebody would have made those trips for you? Oh, man, I got to teach my dog how to do that. <laughs> they also have two to three clutches of eggs, which is like their... When they lay an egg, it's called like a clutch. Um, so they have like groups of, of eggs, and those are their clutches. They'll lay two to three a year, so okay. they are very busy. thought you were going to say a day, and I was like, that's oh, no. a that's lot way, of eggs. That's way too many eggs. A lot of eggs. Um, and the last thing she wanted to know is, does an imposter parent ever try <sighs> to sit on the nest? Which is an excellent question, and I actually couldn't find any information about that, except that um, there's a species called the brown-headed cowbird that will try to lay its eggs in other oh, birds' God nests. Dare it. Right, to get the other birds to raise them. How sneaky. Yes, quite That's, sneaky. I mean, also resourceful, but bad. Bad bird. Yes, but you know the cool thing about robins is that they they can identify those other eggs, and they'll actually... Um, boot them out? Boot them out. So I, I hope that the cowbirds learn not to do that to... To robins. I feel like they have. Maybe to robins. Maybe (laughs) robins specifically. Yeah, because other birds will raise those. um, Will raise them, so. Ooh. So I learned so much about robins. Yeah. It was a lot about birds that I didn't necessarily know, but I'm glad I know now if I see a um, robin on the ground near Mm -hmm. a tree to know, oh, no, I don't need to put it back in its nest. It is a teen robin. That's right. It will be just fine. If it doesn't have any feathers, then... Oh, that's um, a problem. Then you can actually uh, find a little container for it, maybe zip tie it to the tree. Um, it says to put, like, paper towel in there, not cloth or cotton, because, like, that can become stringy and, like, entrap oh. the baby birds. Um, and, and the parent birds will come back to it. That idea of, like, humans touching yeah. the baby robins and then the, the parents being like, ooh, you smell like human. I don't want to take care of anymore. That's not true. They actually have a horrible oh. sense of smell. Great. That is so nice to know because I think that has kept a lot of people, maybe it was just our generation, but it's kept, you know, a lot of people from touching birds. Right. And putting them back in their nest because they're like, I don't want this bird to then be abandoned. Right. Because it reeks of human. Yes. Or huh. stinky, stinky species. Um, the other cool thing I learned. Oh, here we go. <laughs> which I've already previewed for Courtney, so she knows I'm what I'm about to say. Um, is that I don't know if you've ever looked in a, a robin's nest before. And Courtney, would you say that, that it's quite dirty or rather clean? What would you say looking into a um, robin's nest? I'd say a robin's nest is like organized chaos. Sure, sure. I don't know about clean or dirty. Okay. 
Um, I don't like the smile you have on your face <laughs> based on the information you're about to share. So well, lay it on me. Well, as you can imagine, um, with the parent birds making 100 trips back and forth to yeah. feed the birds a day, yeah. that there would probably be quite a lot of poop going on in the nest, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, the kind of cool and gross thing is that... No, um, just gross. <laughs> just gross. Is that baby birds... Um, have what what is called a fecal sac, which is what they poop out instead. And then because they're so young, they don't actually digest all of the nutrients that they're getting from their parents. And so when they poop in this fecal sac, there's still tons of like nutrients and goodness. So the parents will actually eat it. And that's um don't also like that. keeps the nest clean. Yeah. So Yeah, I don't I don't like that. That <laughs> was not a that was not a piece of information I thought I needed. But now you know. But now I know. That's that is why they are um so clean. And they're like, and I guess super, the fecal sacs are in super like strong membranes. So like they don't break all over the nest. And well, that's good. Quite nice. Yeah. Um, that would make it very messy and counter counterproductive if they broke. Right. Yeah. There really would be no, no purpose <laughs> Bad to those. Thing. And then I wouldn't get to tell you about it. So that's what fun is that? Very true. Yeah. Um, oh. uh, what a disappointment that would be <laughs> if you had not shared that piece of information with me. That's right. Um, all right. Any other information on birds? Hopefully we answered your question, Mira. Um, yeah, those are great questions. Again, thanks for the timely question. Um, I, Like I said, I learned a lot. So. Learned a lot about birds. Yeah. Um, and so Emily and I are librarians, and as librarians do, we do a lot of reading. And uh, we thought, you know, in the podcast we would share a book that we've been reading. And we're going to have Emily talk really briefly about what book she is currently reading. So lay it on us. What's the book? So it's called Eva Evergreen, Semi-Magical Witch. And I can only talk super briefly because I just started it. Um, I like it so far. It is about Eva Evergreen, and she is a witch, but she doesn't have... That's in the title. It's Well, yes, in case you didn't didn't get that from the title. title. Um, She doesn't have as much magic as everybody else. And her mother is actually, I think it's like a grandmaster or something of which she's like a very high-powered witch um so it, it would seem that eva would have like lots of power but she's having a hard time maybe her um, mom took all the power mom, and there was just a maybe. little bit left Ooh, I'm yeah spoiling it. oh no um theorizing and so she has to like unlock her power <clears throat> in order to keep any of it and to grow it so she's working really hard trying to like um, access her power but anytime she uses it it like draws the magic out of her blood and then she has to like take a nap um mm-hmm. there's a bully who is really good and has access his powers and makes you know fun of her and and whatnot so i'm just starting this book um it definitely reminds me a little bit of like uh so far of like kiki's delivery service or something oh, okay. that's right it's it's um super cute so i will give an update on that book next time, next time. Yeah. all right what a great book what ages would you say that book is good for. Oh, um, middle grade. I would say even uh, a little bit older if you like just kind of like a magical, okay. whimsy book thus far. Like yeah. eight to yeah. however to old. To however infinity. Old. Yeah. You could read this book and be 90. That's right. Who are we to judge? All right. Jill, do you have another question for us? We do. And this next question comes from Ramona and Daphne. And... Before you listen to Ramona and Daphne ask us their question, if you would like to send in a question to Stump the Librarian, you can check that out on our website, uh, kdl.org forward slash stump. And you can actually record yourself asking the question, send it in, and be featured on the pod. 
So here is our question from Ramona and Daphne. Hi, I'm Ramona. I'm 10. And I want to know what's the most popular dog breed in all the different countries. Hi, I'm Daphne. And I'm nine years old. And I want to know more about um, dogs and how to take care of them, such as what to feed them and um, when to walk them. Okay, so that's a great question um and it's a question about dogs which uh i love dogs i have a dog her name is professor minerva mcgonagall super important to this question um she does go by Minnie, um because professor minerva mcgonagall is a lot to say when i'm trying to get her to come inside um from being outside so the first question my answer is what's the most popular dog breed in all the co- different countries so there are different dog breeds all over the country, and, you know, there's different climates all over the country, so some dogs probably do better in certain climates. Unfortunately, I was not able to find the information for what is the most popular dog owned in different countries other than the United States. Um, so according to the American Kennel Club, which are kennel clubs are what decide what dog breeds there are. So dog breed is not actually a scientific term. All dogs are in the same, um, they're the same species. So they're the Canis lupus familiaris, and their family is Canidae. I probably said that real wrong. My apologies. Sounds like a magical spell. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But it's a Latin term, um, as most scientific names are. They are Latin. Um, And dogs are actually domesticated from wolves, you know, roughly 20,000 to 40,000 years ago. So a wide range, but... You know, that's science for you. Um, so dog breed is designated by the kennel clubs. So different kennel clubs have different dog breeds. Um, and in the United States, we use the American Kennel Club. Um, and in the United States, the most owned dog, and I'm very proud of this fact, is the Labrador Retriever. And this was for 2020. Obviously, 2021 is not over. The Labrador Retriever could be dethroned, but the reason why I'm so proud of this is because my dog is a Labrador Retriever mix, so I keep telling her that she is half the most popular dog in the country, and then Emily's new dog, Molly, is the other half, because Molly is also a Labrador Retriever, Newfoundland, maybe, mix. Um, She definitely has a lab face, so she's got some lab in her. Um, But, so I found that information from akc.org, which has lots of information about dogs. But I did find some information about the most popular searched dog around the world. So, obviously, if you're thinking about getting a dog, you might be searching for that breed. And in the United States, the most searched for is... The Australian Shepherd, which is not an Australian breed. It is an American breed of dog. Um, The thought was that they get that name um, from the sheep they used to herd. Um, But this is according to Household Quotes, which is a United Kingdom-based company. They usually help renters and homeowners find the best people for, like, jobs around the house. But they did some research to figure this out, and they did it by looking at different types of breeds And then they use those dog breeds because, again, it's based on kennel clubs. And, you know, in different parts of the world, they might call a dog breed something different. Um, And so they looked at Google searches. So some of the more popular dogs, which means that they are in more, they are searched in more countries, was the German Shepherd, the Golden Retriever, 
and a Rottweiler. So Rottweiler was the most searched in the most countries, which I found interesting. The one thing that made me laugh um, was that a chow chow, which if you search a chow chow, it is basically a giant fluffy dog. It's just, it's like the cutest thing. And it's most popularly searched in Belize, which Belize is in the southern hemisphere close to the equator. So it's very hot in Belize. And I can't imagine that a chow chow would find living in Belize that enjoyable. I wouldn't think so either. They've got a lot of fur. A lot of fur. They're so cute. Um, some other notable things, um, a cockapoo, which is what our lovely producer, librarian behind the computer, Jill, has two of, was the most popular searched in the UK. So things like cockapoos and labradoodles and golden doodles and things like that are not purebreds, so they are mixed breeds, so the AKC does not take those into consideration. Um, they only take purebred dogs. So if I were to make a guess... I'd probably say that doodles as a whole, so any poodle mix, might be the most popular dog in the United States, just based on how many people I know who have some sort of, like, doodle mix, and they're so stinking cute. I would say definitely, like, probably that, and then just in general, mixed breeds, because, like, I have two mixed breeds. Courtney, mm-hmm. you, your dog is also a mixed breed as well. Because, um, yeah, I wonder if a lot of people adopt just or, or get you know, dogs that are, are mixed. Yeah. And uh, some other fun facts. Um, a pug is the most searched in Guatemala, Costa Rica, Chile, and Cambodia. Um, and then there was another dog that I had never heard of, and it's a Rhodesian Ridgeback. And that's only the most searched in Botswana, which is in Africa. Um, but there was quite a few dogs, um, you know, like the Border Collie, a Beagle, the Labrador Retriever was only popular in Finland, which I found was interesting. Hmm. Um, again, this is based on searches. I wonder, too, like with the pug, they've got such short faces. Oh, I so wonder if, though. like, the warmer weather in some of those places oh, that could is be it. helpful or something. It's possible. Um, and so the other question that we had um, was, how do you best take care of a dog? On when to walk them and what to feed them? So this question is very subjective because it definitely depends on what type of dog breed you get. So um, Emily and I have two high-energy dogs in our Labrador Retriever, so they need a lot of walking, they need a lot of playing, and things like that. And also with your food, obviously if you have a pug, a pug eats significantly less than a Great Dane or, you know, a Rottweiler or some of those bigger breeds um, as well. So that's really going to depend on what type of dog you get. And I found a really good website, and it's called uh, loveyourdog.com. And then you can also figure out on this website if you're even ready for a dog. Because a dog is a big time commitment. It's a money commitment. It's a lot of love. Um, but some fun things about dogs and what they can or cannot eat that I found interesting was there are different fruits and vegetables that dogs can and can't eat. So for fruits, dogs can eat apples, bananas, blueberries, cantaloupe, um, cranberries, cucumbers, mango, oranges, peaches, pears, pineapples, raspberries, strawberries, and watermelon. But they cannot, do not feed this to your dog, um, eat tomatoes, grapes, cherries, or avocados, which is actually great because I don't like sharing my avocados Mm. because that guacamole is mine. And I share a lot of things with my dog, and I'm glad that's one of the things I don't have to share 
So know? they can have cranberries? They can have cranberries. I wonder if any of my dogs would like cranberries. I'll have to talk about that. I think they might. Um, for vegetables, they can eat broccoli, Brussels sprouts, carrots, celery, green beans, peas, and spinach. Um, but they cannot, so again, do not feed these to your dogs, eat onions, mushrooms, and asparagus. They also can't have garlic, so if you cooked any of those vegetables, they can eat in garlic. Like, don't give those to your dog because that would not be good for their tummy. Um, again, they're good like, you obviously get good dog food, and I actually just changed my dog's dog food. Um, and you want to make sure when you're picking out a dog food that their food contains meat, vegetables, grains, and fruits. And um, you want to make sure that the meat is towards the beginning of those ingredients. Like, the first ingredient in your dog food should just be, like, chicken, beef, lamb, salmon, whatever it is. Because that's how you know it's, like, a high-quality thing. But again... Got to do your research on the akc.org has a lot of information about researching dogs. There's also a National Geographic kids book on it's a dog breed guide. So if you're not sure what type of dog you want, you can get this book and read it. You can get it at your local KDL library. Um, and yeah. Well, that's all the fun and highly important information that we have for you today. You can visit kdl.org forward slash stump. For more information, and of course, just submit a question and take your chance to try to stump us as well. Tune in next episode where we will answer more of your questions. We would also like to thank J.D. Delinsky for our intro music, uh, the KDL Amy Van Andel Library and Community Center in Ada for the podcast room, and David Specht for our photos, which you will see on our uh, KDL page. <laughs>